0: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Shanna Bell. This is Delano Wilson. This is Juan. And this is Doc G. And today we're going to earn and invest in bringing up money-savvy kids. This is a Rewind episode, so remember this was recorded a few years ago at the time the podcast was called What's Up Next? And you'll hear the wonderful tones of my previous co-host, Paul Thompson. I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was recorded right around Father's Day two years ago, so you'll hear some references there. But it is as important today as it was back then. How do we teach our
1: kids about money?
0: So, Paul Thompson, what's up next?
1: Well, Doc, we just got through finishing through with Father's Day, and I think about what I'm going to be like as a father to my children. And one of the questions that we continue to come back to is how do we teach our kids about money? So we have three guests on here today who all have kids and have their own insights on how they raise their kids talking about money. So I'll have each of them go through a quick introduction, and then we'll just dig into some more questions.
2: So my name is Shanna Bell. I am a holistic health advisor, a freelance writer in the health and finance space, and an author a new book that just got released this year. I'm a part of a blended family with five kids, two of which were mine, three of which were my spouse's. So we have five. Yes, we're one shy of Brady Bunch and no, there will never be a sixth.
3: Yeah, my name is Juan. I currently live in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm from Columbia originally. I was born and raised over there, moved to the U.S. for college and just kind of ended up staying here. I have a two and a half year old daughter and I'm a CPA during the day and a tennis and FI enthusiast during the night.
4: Eleanor Wilson, U.S. Army vet, IT entrepreneur, based out of Austin, Texas. And uh, I have two kids, one 10 and one 3. So Shanna,
0: I want to start off with you. Tell me how you first discovered the financial independence movement.
2: First discovered it when I was freelance writing in the finance space and became part of a large group called FinCon. And got really involved with them because I've always been interested in finance and have always been creative with money, mostly due to necessity, but then after that, due to pure love of the game. And then I discovered the FI movement as another, I guess, faction of the larger financial group and just fell in love with the idea. And there it was.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that there is a whole world of personal finance that does not revolve around financial independence. Uh, We talk about it here a lot, but it is a large, large community and financial independence is just a small part of it. How about you, Juan? Can you tell me when you first heard the term financial independence and how it struck you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So it was back in 2015. I was thinking about starting a website about personal finance. And I was telling one of my friends about, and he said, why don't you check out Mr. Money Mustache? And I did. And I was like, oh, crap, what I'm trying to create already exists. But um, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, I've been in the community ever since. Delanor,
0: how about you? Was there a specific content producer who pulled you in? Or how did you end up being interested in this concept?
4: Actually, it was uh, my parents. I've seen how they raised me and how they handled money during my lifetime with them. Now, as an adult, I want to be that same kind of person where I don't need to be in one location to financially support myself. I have that freedom of movement. And so that struck me and uh, created a edge in me to, hey, I need to take money seriously.
0: You mentioned your parents. Delanor, tell me a little bit about what you remember as those earliest money lessons.
4: So uh, to give you a little bit backstory about me or my parents, my dad is an Army retired vet. And my mom is a hair petition that transferred into uh, the government sector. So they're not multimillionaires by traits by any means, but they handled the money well. And they instill that with me. My dad was always telling me, hey, you got to save your money. You got to save your money. You know, have that little bit of uh, delayed gratification. You know, I know you want that right now, but have something 10 times better two years later, three years later. If you just handle your money well right now. You would appreciate it much more later. And that stuff was as an parent and as, as an individual.
0: So Shanna, it sounds like what Delanor is talking about is good financial modeling. Do you remember receiving the same from your parents? What was it like when you were a kid?
2: Oh, I definitely did. My parents are the ones who started me off on this path, even though um, they now say I know a lot more than they do, which I guess is a a good sign of good parenting because you want your kids to be smarter than you at some point anyways. Yeah, my parents were always very good with their money. My dad is a numbers guy and he always taught us a about hard work and how that translates into money and how you can do different things to earn money. Uh, We had an allowance when we were younger and if we didn't do the work or if there was whining, we didn't get paid. I do the same thing with my kids. If you whine about it, I'm going to dock your pay. That's the deal. But at the same time, my dad also taught me a lot about budgeting and spreadsheets. And I now love spreadsheets. And he taught me a little bit about finance and how saving money is important for the future. There were some lessons they didn't teach me that I wish they had, but I'm doing this. I'm trying to teach my kids the lessons that I didn't get from my parents because they just didn't know how to get that message across.
0: So, Juan, I usually, when people talk about their parents, they either model themselves off their parents or they do the exact opposite, right? They run as far away as possible from the behavior of their parents. Which one was it for you? Did you look at your parents and say, I financially want to be like them? Or was it more like, I'm not going to make the mistakes they made?
3: That's a really interesting question because I think, luckily, I have a little bit of both sides. So when I was 12, I remember my mom being in credit card debt and I had an aunt who was a little more savvy with money. And she kind of sat me down and kind of explained what was going on to me. And that was a very valuable lesson. I was like, okay, this type of debt is something I never want to be in. And I never have been this far. So that was very effective. And then on my dad's side, he's a natural saver. I mean, he grew up with 11 siblings. So by necessity, they had to be very frugal. And he translated that into his whole life and kind of modeled that out for me. So in that way, I get a little bit of the best of both worlds, I would say.
0: Delanor, was there anything that your parents particularly weren't able to teach you or anything looking back now as a financially responsible adult saying, boy, they really got that
4: one wrong? I would say they taught me how to save. But they didn't teach me how to make money. You know, like I said, my dad's a retired Army veteran. My mom is a beautician, and she moved to government in the government sector. So they really taught me how to save, but just not that transition of like, hey, how to, you know, take a dollar and make it into $3 or $5 or something of that nature. If that was the case, I think I would be more along my own personal goal line where right now I'm still creeping and crawling, I would be probably already running with uh, what they had taught me. So I would say in that sense, that would be the thing that I'm lacking from my parents. And I'm figuring it out myself.
0: Shannon, you started to mention some gaps too. Talk about what gaps you thought there were during your childhood with your financial education through your parents.
2: I think the first largest gap was that they didn't teach me about compounding. The way my brain works, if I had learned about compound interest when I was younger, it would have stoked the fire under my butt to be saving as much money as possible because I can see how that works. But they never explained that to me. They also never explained really how important stocking money away for retirement was. They said it was important but they never really had the money to do it. And what I realize now as an almost 40-year-old is that I could have easily, you know, stocked away 20 or $40 a week and bought less drinks if I'd understand, understood exactly how much that would have affected me 20 years, 30 years down the road. So that's something that was lacking that I'm working on instilling in my kids.
0: So Juan, what what Shanna is talking about a little bit is the didactic teaching points. And I always say this about my parents, like they're really great at modeling good financial behavior. But it's not like they sat me down and said, this is what compounding is, you know, this is how you become financially independent. Did your parents sit you down and have conversations about money specifically? Or was it more that you watched how they did things?
3: They did talk to me about some basic things. Uh, my dad was very adamant because I grew up playing tennis. Most of my peers were usually very wealthy compared to me. I only played because my dad was a coach, and most people play because they were country club members. So in that way, he was like, "Make sure you don't get caught up in like their spending. Right? They have different lives than we do. So that always kept me very grounded. But as far as the knots and bolts, uh, not really, not at all. I didn't really learn anything until I was here in the U.S. studying business in undergrad. So
0: Delanor, I'm interested in the same thing. Did your parents sit you down and try to teach you uh, like out of a textbook or was it more this is what we're doing and you kind of learn to be like them?
4: It was more of shadowing type of thing. I never got set down at a particular time and and the books were open and hey, this is how we're going to go line by line to do this. It was never like that. It was more of a shadowing thing. I would see how he handled money. I remember as a young kid going to the bank, you know, a lot of times with my parents, when they would get their check, you know, back in the day, for my father, they would actually have to report to the payroll officer, get the check and then go cash it, you know, and I would be there for an hour waiting for my dad to get next in line to cash the check, you know, to divide it up into different accounts, this and the savings that went into checking. And so I saw how he did it that way. I never actually was told it's, it's kind of like this, you know, it's kind of like someone who's obese, they know they should lose weight it's like telling them hey you should lose weight you should lose weight but not actually giving them a strategy or a method you know it really doesn't help them but uh, unless you shadow and figure out how to do it then that that can be your cure and so that was pretty much mine just shadowing my father and my mother and figuring out how to actually get financial independence
0: Shanna, you know, sometimes I think about it, money is taboo. And so we see our parents hopefully making good decisions, but sometimes they're not willing to sit down and actually talk about money itself or talk dollars and cents. Were your parents willing to actually talk about numbers with you when you were a kid?
2: Yes and no. And my parents are still both very different when it comes to money conversations. My dad and I are very similar with the way that we think logically and mathematically. So we have always had a more open, candid conversation about money and dollars and cents. In fact, he's the one that had made contracts for us when we were younger when we first got our license and we're paying insurance on our car and if we didn't pay the insurance then, you know, we had a contract in which they would take the car away. So he talked about all the numbers and throughout the years has given us loans with interest and gone through the numbers with that, which is great. My mother on the other hand will talk about money but she won't give hard facts and it's usually swinging from one direction to the other. They either have no money or they're extremely wealthy <laughs> one or the other, but there are no actual numbers to discuss with her. And that's just not a conversation that she's going to have because it makes her uncomfortable.
0: And Juan, was it the same with you? Did you actually have conversations about specifics, about money, about numbers, or was it all
3: generalizations? We did talk numbers. Like I asked my parents how much money they made, and they kind of answer. And I was just a very curious kid. I would ask, like, okay, so how much do your friends make, and how much do doctors make, and this and that. So we always kind of talk numbers. I just think they didn't have the academic, not really academic, but just the knowledge to teach me something like compound interest or like the stock market. But it was not taboo in that way. It was just maybe they liked the technical knowledge.
0: So Delenor, let's talk a little bit about you. How you handled money as a kid? Were you given an allowance?
4: Yeah, I was given an allowance. Uh, I had to work for it, so I cut the grass. My parents would give me a certain amount of money, or I would bring home Good grades, and I was no way, shape, or form an A student or anything like that. School just doesn't resonate that well with me. Education does, but school doesn't. And so I didn't get much money that way. But doing things, I would get money that way: shoveling our driveway or a neighbor's driveway, cutting the grass, or helping my dad clean his vehicles and stuff like that. So I would get money versus that way. And then also that you know, entrepreneurial side of me, I would go out and like sell candies and stuff like that to. uh make some
0: money. Shanna, where did you get your money as a kid? Did you get an allowance or did you have a job? Were you employed?
2: Both. It depends on the age range. I started my first entrepreneurial job when I was about seven, killing snails in Southern California, which is a horrible (laughs) thing. I know, I'm going straight to hell. Um, (laughs) People would pay me to do it and then my parents gave me allowance. But then as I became a teenager, the first job I had was babysitting. And I would get paid for that as well. Uh, my parents rule was that they would pay for our necessities, you know, specific food and clothes, but anything else I wanted, if I wanted to go out with my friends, to the movie, or if I wanted to clothes from Abercrombie and Fitch or wherever I had to earn the money to pay for it. So that was what kind of drove me to start working jobs at a younger age because I wanted things.
0: One, were you expected to make your own money or were your parents providing it for you as a kid?
3: Yeah, up until when I was 12, it was mostly provided as long as I kind of got good grades, was a good kid. I kind of got what I needed. But right about when I turned 12, I started traveling to tennis tournaments by myself because my dad couldn't always afford to go with me. So I would be given, say, $200 for like a four-day tournament and uh, they would say like, okay, this is your money you know, if you run out of it, you're out of luck. But it was mainly to buy food. And it was always enough. But it was a really valuable lesson, because that's when I really had to think, okay, money is not unlimited. And if I run out, I'm in a strange town without my mom and dad. So I better be careful with this money. So that was a very valuable lesson for me. And
0: at that age, was tennis your job, so to speak? Or was there an idea that you would go
3: out and earn money somewhere outside of the house? Tennis was 100% my job. I would say it even trumped grades at school sometimes. So, yeah, it was just very important to our family. So, but actually, back to that, when I was about maybe two years later, my dad had me start teaching tennis lessons. And that was also super vital because that's the first time I made a connection to, okay, this is how money is made. And this is hard work. You know, you're 90 degrees in the sun. Like you're not running up and down for like an hour. And at the end of it, you get like 15 bucks. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll be careful with what I buy because it is hard to come by.
0: Delanor, you mentioned the difference between education and school. Was college on your horizon uh, when you were young at home? And was the idea that you were going to have to pay for it yourself if you went?
4: College, I really didn't care much about. It was sport that I cared about. So, I went to college because of basketball. I was on my high school basketball team and I was a walk on for college. And so, when basketball didn't work out, college just mysteriously did not work out as well either. But I paid some of it myself through student loans and my mom assisted me as well with some money. For the most part, it was my own student loans that got me to college. I still don't have a degree today. I have like 96 credit towards everything and so it's (laughs) nothing. But pretty much, yeah, I went to college after high school. And um, when basketball did not work out, college didn't work out for me as well. And I just dropped out and joined the military. And yeah, (laughs) went from there.
0: You know, listening to both you and Juan speak, was there some thought in the back of your mind that hey, maybe sports would be my financial path?
4: A hundred percent. For me, yeah. Basketball, you know, growing up in Virginia, basketball is the sport that takes over that state. And so in and out every day up at early in the morning, five in the morning, in the gym at six and then back home by 11 at night, something like that, playing basketball the whole day. So sports was my first love. And that was going to be my vehicle to get me where I wanted to be financially uh, independent and free. But obviously, that didn't work out. So I transitioned to a second love, which became the military. And I'm on my third love right now, entrepreneurship. So I've been through some transitions (laughs) in my life. But yeah, sports 100% was my first vehicle for my financial goals.
3: Yeah, for me, definitely. That was the way out of, let's call it the middle class, just much like college, maybe in the U.S., Because if I didn't play sports, I would go to college in Colombia, I would kind of stay in Colombia, get a middle class job. And that just sounded very boring to me. Maybe back then I still had a little bit of the fire mindset in me. So tennis, I was going to either hit it big by becoming professional or at the very least getting a scholarship in the United States, which was what ended up happening. So, yeah, it was definitely kind of the way to a better life.
0: And do you think, you know, jumping ahead for your own children, do you think for them that will be a similar path you suggest for them? Or do you think you'll go much more kind of down the financial independence route?
3: I'll try to do both. Uh, I mean, at this point, I see maybe tennis for my daughter as a way to defray college costs, but not so much to a better life per se. But obviously, I hope she likes it because it'll be nice if I don't have to pay for college.
0: Shanna, was there much thought about who would pay for college for you? I mean, did you start really saving up when you were on your way there?
2: My parents decided to do the complete opposite of what their parents did. Neither one of their parents could afford to pay for them to go to college. And my father was the youngest of five, so there was no money left when it came to his turn. So he ended up paying for his own, and they didn't want that for us. So they decided they were going to front the costs for all three of us to go to college. Much to their detriment, now at almost retirement, they are still paying it off. So that's a mistake I won't make. I feel like they made a knee jerk reaction to what their upbringing was, and there probably was was a better middle ground. So they agreed to pay for uh, me to go to school, but it was a requirement that I had to go right after high school, which probably wasn't the best idea for me. So I started out as pre med which I liked, but I was not great at taking tests, never have been. So I ended up doing that for a couple of years, wasting a lot of their money and then leaving school because I didn't know what I wanted to do and was in philosophy at that point, (laughs) which is completely different than pre-med. I decided a few years later that I would go back. Now they said once I left, they would not pay for school anymore, which I understood. So I decided to go back when I was teaching and finish my degree. So I paid for it on my own. I did get quite a few scholarships and grants, so it didn't cost me a whole lot. And then when I went back to do my master's, I ended up getting almost 60% of it covered through scholarships and grants, and then I paid the rest of it out of pocket.
0: So was college the line in the sand? Was that the kind of agreement, we'll pay for college, but then you're on your own?
2: Yes, it was. And then when I left college, I was completely, I mean, I was on my own in college anyways. They were only paying for the college costs. So I worked multiple jobs in college. I think i would point up to six when I was in college because I wanted money to live the way I wanted to live and play and travel. So that probably didn't help my first college experience <laughs> because
4: I was working too much.
0: And Delanor, when did you know that you were on your own and your parents were done paying for things?
4: When I joined the military, big time, when I went to college, uh, when I turned 18, dropped out, and then I came back to my parents' house for about six months, and then I joined the military. After that point, the transition into like adulthood was a major for me because seeing how my family is. Most of my family, they're not with their same spouse. So their kids have a different father or a different mother or something like that. In my family, I'm the only one who is with my same original parents. My mom is my mom and my dad is my dad who live together in this house. But like I said, when I joined the military, that was a wide awakening for me because I left that state, went to North Carolina to basic training then I went down to Augusta, Georgia for individual training. And my first duty station was Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And so from that point, you know, that was job number like three or four for me. And it's a whole lifestyle where they tell you everything you got to do, but they give you a decent check too. And a lot of new soldiers blow it, you know, blowing on alcohol or a new car, you know, and I was one of those soldiers that did that, you know, I blew it, I brought a new car and, you know, you get paid on the 15th, on the 16th, it's already spent. And so I realized at some point later down the road, I realized like, man, this is not for me. This is good lifestyle. I have no money at the end of the month or the month is longer than my money. And so um, I'm having issues. I need to turn something around. So that was a wide waking event for me to know that, hey, my financial independence is based on me. So Donor, you really
0: bring up a fascinating topic. And I think it's important for our conversation here because we're talking a lot about you guys before we talk about how you're going to bring up your children. But it's interesting, you had these financial role models, you had your parents, you grew up in this household, yet in some ways it didn't save you from that moment when you got the first paycheck and started spending. So kind of what do you think brought you back? Like, was it the teaching you got from your parents as a kid? Or was it that you just had to experience it first before you got savvy with your money?
4: What do you think it is that turned the tide? It was definitely the experience. I mean, you can tell someone, hey, don't touch that. It's hot. Don't touch that. It's hot. Until you touch it and find out that it's hot, you're not going to learn. I can give you all the tools, I can give you the best personal trainer in the world, but you got to make the decision, you know, at some point that, okay, I am going to get my financial independence together. And so that's pretty much how I operate in my mind is I got to experience it for myself. You know, like I'm a motorcycle junkie as well. I love motorcycles and aviation, things of that nature. I got to my first motorcycle accident. Not shortly after I got my motorcycle, you know, and now I figure, oh, I really can crash and burn and get hurt, you know. And so taking that experience into aviation, I don't want to go down that route. You know, I learned from financial goals and financial experience and then from uh, motorcycle experience that some things are left where they are and you don't need to experience it. But in that type of sense, yes, I had to experience it to figure out that, yes, this hurts and this isn't good for me. This isn't something that I should be proud of. And I need to take the intestinal fortitude, discipline necessary to change my lifestyle. You know, Otherwise, I'm going to be working all my life, 80-something years old, a Walmart greeter, and no money in the bank. And one other thing that really surprised me is statistics. I think it was like 60% of Americans over the age of like 40 or something like that don't even have $10,000 in their bank account. Crazy, 40-something years old. And I know a friend of mine who has a daughter that's like 16 years old who has a net worth higher than a 40-year-old man. So it's ridiculous, really ridiculous.
0: Shanna, I want to touch on this conversation a little more because you kind of hint at it too. You say that you got a lot of this didactic teaching from your parents, and yet you also mentioned that maybe them paying for college gave you a little bit of freedom not to be serious yet. What was it? Was it the teaching you got from your parents, or did you have to, as Delanore is saying, experience some of that freedom before you could get serious about your finances?
2: It was a little bit of both. For me, my mom has dubbed me a lot of nicknames, but a hard learner is one of them. I am one of those people who really learns better through experience, which sometimes is much more painful <laughs> for me. Uh, kind of like what Delanor was mentioning, but the lesson seems to stick a whole lot better for people who think like I do. Them giving me a little bit of financial help in college was great, but I took advantage of it. I didn't understand exactly what the monetary value of it was until I had to do the same thing when I went to school. And then I was a much better student because it was coming out of my own pocket. So that was kind of the beginning of me understanding it more and then I actually fully became uh, hit home once I became a single parent and had to uh, live on food stamps and Medicaid. Then I got really creative. And now I'm grateful for everything I have every single day, food, pennies, water, my house, everything. Because when you are down to nothing and trying to figure out how to feed your kids every day, you're grateful once you figure it out.
0: So having kids very much changed your financial trajectory. Is that safe to say?
2: Yes. Uh, Well, that and getting married to my ex-husband who had no understanding of finances or even uh, a checking account, which I did not know before we got married. So, but yes, so having kids definitely changes your financial trajectory to financial independence because children cost money. Contrary to popular belief, they're not free. And if you are married to somebody who doesn't uh, have the same financial perspective as you, then that makes it even more difficult. And in my case, certainly set me back quite a few years. I was in a much worse financial position once I got divorced than I was before I ever met my ex-husband, but financial lessons learned. Juan,
0: talk about that a little bit. How did getting married change your financial trajectory? And certainly, how is having a child done that to you?
3: Yeah, getting married first. So I'm very fortunate that my wife, then back then girlfriend, was kind of always a little bit into this mindset. In fact, when we first started dating, I tried to impress her by taking her to like nice restaurants and buying her nice things. And she very quickly kind of let me know, this does not impress me. And at the time, it was kind of a bummer. I'm like, oh, this girl is really hard to impress. But in hindsight, it's turned out to be like the biggest blessing because you know, it is a great kind of trait to have if you want to pursue financial independence. So that that didn't really change me much. I would just consider myself lucky to have found her. And then having a daughter back then, I when you asked me when I found out financial independence, that was in 2015. My daughter was born maybe a year after that. So I was kind of already in the mindset, but I mean, she just makes it much more real and kind of takes the motivation to the next level to try to, you know, create more freedom and more time in my life, even faster than what I wanted to do before. And obviously thinking back to all of the things my parents did for me, you know, you want to be able to do at least the same, if not more for your own children. So it's definitely on the motivation side of things, taking things to the next level.
0: Delenor, would you have characterized yourself as financially ready to have children when you started having them? Heck no. <laughs>
4: Uh, actually pretty cool because my first child was a unplanned pregnancy. Me and my wife at that time were dual military and uh, we had an unplanned pregnancy and then life started to go downhill from there. She's in her unit and they're always going to the field. I wanted to be like SF Ranger, everything, you know, so I'm going to school after school after school, and I was thinking about myself mainly at that time, so I had a lot of growing up to do. I had my first son when I was 20, and I got married when I was 21, so I was very, very young when that came along, and my second child was unplanned as well, but with this relationship that I'm in now with my current wife, we're good, and we are planning for our last and third child. So with that being said, I took some lessons learned from when I was much younger and brought them to where I am today and we're implementing them and everything should be a little bit more strategic instead of shooting from the hip this time.
0: So Shanna, what Delanor seems to be saying is that there was an evolution of financial knowledge and savviness that came along with having children. Were children a big part of the reason for financial independence for you? Was it a big part of the impetus to start being more careful with your money?
2: I would say yes, although I've never really thought of it from that perspective. But as a parent, I want my children to do better than I have done. So, and I want them to learn from my mistakes as much as they can without having to repeat them themselves. So I want to be able to give the kids what I can give them, but I also want to be able to teach them uh, more financial lessons than my parents did so that they will do better than I have at an earlier point in their life. That's my, my ultimate goal. And then also so that I can try to so my spouse and I can try and retire by the time our youngest one gets out of the house <laughs> so we can enjoy more of our life at a younger age.
0: In the first half of the show, Juan, Delanor, and Shanna talk about their money lessons growing up. After the break, we delve into how they breach these conversations with their children. But first... Alright, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Do you ever wish you invested early in some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing, like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Professional VC research identifies promising companies and funds across a range of sectors, stages, and global locations. Our crowd is investing in medical technology, breakthroughs in ag tech and food production, solutions in the multi-billion dollar robotic industry, and so much more. You can learn more and get in early at ourcrowd.com slash E-A-I. If you're interested in investing, you need to join ourcrowd. The ourcrowd account is free. Just go to O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D dot com slash E-A-I. So one, there's a question and I'm going to give you an answer to it first. We asked Doug Nordman, what is the right age to start talking to children about money? And he said when they stop trying to eat it. So what it begs the question is, so what age do we start with our kids? Like how young can we start actually teaching them money lessons?
3: Well, mine is only two and a half, and I say that's too early, even though she's no longer trying to to eat money. But I would say from observing, you know, cousins, close family and friends, I would say five to seven is probably kind of a sweet spot to start things very basic. It kind of depends on the kid too, but I would say somewhere in that range.
0: Delanor, same question to you. Like, what age do we start at? At what age can they start soaking up all these important lessons?
4: Early as possible. I mean... It's kind of one of those things where you have a baby and you're reading to them in the womb because technically babies can listen and they're in the womb. And so um, even though we're thinking that it's just a bunch of, you know, woo woo and all that stuff, I think even just taking your baby, you know, to the bank kind of builds that environment to them. You know, nowadays, I think the problem with a lot of millennial kids is that money isn't real no more. It's digital. It's not something you can touch. You know, it's it's something that's plastic. If it breaks, I just get another one. You know, I, I think starting early as possible. And I don't think there is a, an age limit on when to say it's too early to start or you should start now. I I think the earlier, the sooner and that's left up to the parents, you know, of course, some parents who are more financially stable or more financially educated probably start in the crib, you know, while they're still sleeping in the crib. You know, I think that would be the best type of situation for the baby and for the parents when they go down that route.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Obviously, if I talk to my two and a half year old about money, I may think that she's not understanding or soaking anything in, but but you just don't know the things. For example, we were the other day at the bus stop and she saw some big kids got to the big yellow school bus and she asked if she could get in. And I said, no, you have to be a little bit bigger. And like two weeks later, she woke up and she said, Daddy, I think I'm big enough now to get on the yellow bus. And I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? So yeah, you kind of made me think of that. And I mean, I should probably rethink my answer and maybe start throwing nuggets of wisdom down there and see what happens.
1: So we're talking about when we talk to our children, but the big question that I keep struggling with with my own children is, and they're certainly old enough now, is how to effectively talk to my children. So I like to have each of you answer your question. What have you guys gleaned from how to raise your children talking about money where it's not a taboo subject?
2: For me, one of the biggest things that I started with was taking my kids with me to the grocery store or to the regular store because I had to all the time. And when I was there, I would, and I still do this now, although they're much more effective since they're older, I would talk to them about the things they want because kids always want something, even as, you know, toddlers, they always want something. So we would talk about how much it costs versus you know another version of it, or how many pieces of change they would need to have depending on how old they were. So when they were you know two, they would get money in their piggy bank from family or whatever, and they would have to bring that money with them. And if they wanted something, I would say, okay, well let's count up how much you have, and I'll, we'll see how much you can if you can buy it or not. And if they could, then and they had enough money, then they could buy it. And I said, then you have no more money if you buy it. So they understood it to a point because I made them pay for it with their change, even though they didn't fully understand what 25 cents was or whatever. I would help them count it. As they got older, they had to count it on their own. And you know, now they have their own checking accounts and they still have to decide if it's worth it for them or not to spend that money from their checking account to buy whatever video game mod they're wanting to buy.
1: So how old were they when they got their first checking account?
2: That depends on the bank. So my kids are in a credit union. Credit mm. unions won't do it till they're 13, but mm. they had savings accounts. They still do before that. So like my daughter is 11 and she's a saver. She did ask me the other day if I would take some cash out for her so that she could have it. If she wanted to buy anything, she Perfect. still has all $40 and it's been over a month. The 13 year olds uh, have checking accounts, but they are not allowed to spend money from it without discussing it because they're the kids who have a problem with uh, pennies burning holes in their pockets.
1: How about you, Juan? You haven't yet talked to your daughter, but you mentioned, well, maybe I'll start. And how do you think you'll go about having those conversations as she gets older and more mature?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think one important thing that I will try my best not to do is to be too insistent and kind of take it too far because sometimes kids can revel on that. And she's done that with food. You know, you tell her to eat her veggies and she won't do it, but you leave her alone and she might try them out of curiosity. So, Uh, It's always for me, it's, you know, I haven't thought of the specifics too much, but I would definitely try not to go too hard, too strong and turn her off the subject entirely. Uh, One thing that comes to mind, I really like this idea. And I know several people in the community do it of having a bank of that, that Mm -hmm. accrues interest to something like 1% per month. just something really high at first to like teach them and watch them have that libel moment that money can grow. But obviously that's something you want to shut down before it breaks you, you know, when they're all there. But, But that's one thing that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we do. And I have found a setting in FAMZU that keeps you from going over a certain amount. You can set a ceiling, a threshold, because my daughter would have broken us so far because the compounding would have been astronomical. Right.
2: The other thing that we do with the older ones now is we have a custodial Roth IRA for the kids, which that, and they help pick the ETFs that they want to put there. I had to explain to them what ETFs were. So that was a fun game and they had to pick them. And so anytime they earn money, now they work for my business, the dog boarding part of the business. So they get to pick up dog poop, which they hate, but too bad. We pay them once a month. And so they get that a lot instead of allowance. And so then they get to see the compounding from the Roth IRA, which can also be used for college expenses when the time comes. But I found the compounding there is a lot better than just the uh, the regular savings accounts that we've been able to get at the banks. So we kind of do both.
1: Yeah, it's called it's building tax-free wealth right there. That's mm-hmm. a, an incredibly next-level, powerful step to do. Delnor, how about you? Have you had money conversations with your kids yet? And how do you go about doing it?
4: Yeah, so with my 10-year-old, he's a little bit older than my two-year-old. And so the interpretation is totally different. So with my 10-year-old, I can give him a dollar, tell him to go buy something that he may want within that dollar frame. And uh, let's just say it costs 60 cents, right? He goes in there, he buys it, he gives the clerk the dollar, but he gets back he gets back and changed 30 cents. And then I ask him, does that make sense to him? And he's like, no. I'm like, well, where did that 10 cent go? And then you show him on the receipt, that 10 cent went to taxes. You know, the roads that we drive on, the street streetlights, you know, everything that we as Americans don't have to do that's provided for us, that goes towards taxes. So that's why you're missing that 10 cents. And then I explain it to him that way. So he understands two things. One, the taxes that government's going to take their cut. And then two, this is how we... Use money as well. With my two-year-old, it's still a little juggle, but she's learning that she has to pay for things as well too. If she wants something, we're like, okay, yeah, but you got to pay for it. And she pulls out a card. She doesn't know which card. Like yesterday, my wife was telling me she took her to the grocery market and she tried to put in a business card, you know, into the actual slot. So she's she's learning, you know. But uh, obviously, like I said, a ten-year-old and a three-year-old, the conversations are different. But I think we're making progress. So. <laughs> So Shanna,
0: I've said this multiple times. When it came to my family, I don't feel like my parents really taught me that much, but they modeled wonderful financial behavior. So what do you think sticks with your kids? Is it what you say or is it what you do?
2: My kids, it's more what I do. They are definitely experiential and they do mimic behavior as most children do. And they've heard what I've talked about because I do talk about finance and personal finance a lot in speaking engagements, podcasts and writing. So they're used to hearing it. They tune me out now. That's to be expected. Kids generally tune out their parents after a certain point in time, but they see what we're doing. And they're also around when we do a, so we do a budget meeting every week on Sundays. So the kids are around when we do the budget meeting. Sometimes they're listening and they get involved and sometimes they don't. We don't care one way or the other. We just want them to know that we're doing it consistent and they kind of know exactly what's going on. And if they have questions, they can ask or if they want to jump in, they can. But they see what we're doing with the bank accounts and what we're doing with our finances and with money because we still use the envelope method for most of our regular stuff because we found that that works better. And the kids have an easier time seeing exactly where the money is going when they're with us because as... I think one of you said earlier uh, that the millennials have a harder time understanding where money's going because it's digital. They don't see it. They don't feel it. And the pain point is still there when you have to take the money out and you have to count it and you have to give it to the clerk and see what you actually have left for the week or the month or however you do it versus just swiping a card. My kids were younger. They did say, when I swiped my debit card, they said, well, you can just swipe your card. This is when I was on food stamps. You can just swipe your card because you can get money at all the time. I said, that's not how a debit card works. If there's no money in there, it doesn't matter how many times you swipe it. No money is coming out. So I think that's a good lesson.
0: Juan, do you think our kids' generation that the money lessons are different than ours were growing
3: up? Yeah, I think the digital versus hard paper is a real issue. Uh, and I hadn't thought about much before this conversation. But yeah, I remember, you know, when I was in a foreign country by myself with like $200 for like four days or whatever, just panicking about those pieces of paper kind of, you know, leaving me too early. And I feel like if we had had a car that I knew more money could be put on or it just had a high limit, that fear of maybe not being there. It's definitely a big deal. And I'll have to think about that into how I implement it into her life. Maybe, you know, make sure she gets used to handing out cash and at least for a little while.
4: I like the caveat on that. Yeah, I think it's a big difference between kids now and kids in our age group because money was something that you collect, you know, like baseball cards, you know, people were collecting them. Oh, man, something tangible. I got it, you know. But they, you know, you do something and it pops up somewhere and then you just check it. You know, it's no longer like a collection, like, oh, I got a bunch of it. I can feel it, you know. And I, I think that uh, plays with the mind a little bit. Whereas such as ones and zeros now, currency, it's limitless. So I want to try
0: something a little different here. I want some quick yes and no, maybe short answer answers to this. I'm going to run through all three of you. OK, so let's start with Shanna. Allowance or no allowance? Allowance. Juan, allowance or no allowance?
4: No. Nope.
3: Delinor, allowance, no allowance. Allowance. Why one no allowance? I would try to give her a way to earn it. Maybe when she's little, give her an allowance. But whenever, I mean, I don't know, when she turns 10 or so, I would like to be earned rather than kind of just given.
0: Okay. Shanna, pay for college or let your kids pay for it themselves?
2: Let kids pay for college, but teach them how to get scholarships and grants.
0: Delanor, pay for your kids' college or let them rough it out on their own?
2: I don't
4: care how much money I have. They're paying for it.
3: They need to get bruised.
0: Juan, paying for college or letting the kids figure it out themselves?
3: Yeah, let them pay and maybe be ready to pay off their student loans if they have been really good with their money. But yeah, always make them think they're, it's on them.
0: Yeah, that, that's the big trick, right? Is to have the money saved up and only pay for it after they think they're on the hook for everything. I think a lot of us in this community talk about that. So I'd like to round this conversation out a little bit. Shannon, so what do you do if your kids are horrible with money? What will you do?
2: If they're horrible with money as children or as adults?
0: As it both.
2: With right now, we have two that are horrible with money and we go through what they have in their account And we regulate what they're allowed to buy at this point. And we sit down with them and make them really think about it. And is it worth it? Because if you buy this, then you will have none of this and you're not getting paid again until next month. And that's if you do the chores you're supposed to do. So there may be no more money is really that important to you. And if it is, then fine. It's your money. Go ahead. But there will be nothing else in there when they're adults. I mean, ultimately, my job right now is to train them so that they aren't horrible with money as adults. So if they are horrible with money as adults, I have failed at my job. And I'm hoping that's not the case because they seem to be getting smarter as they get older, which is a good thing. And some of them have been passing some of these lessons along to their friends. So it's pretty cool to watch them do that. And actually, my son has become his own little entrepreneur and has been buying hats and selling them to friends and making like a 400% profit, which is pretty cool. And then keeping the money to keep doing it. So it's really interesting to watch as they become teenagers, how this evolves just from what I've been teaching them since they were younger.
0: So Juan, as our kids get older, do we provide the safety net or do we let them fall on their face?
3: That's a real hard one, because part of what has motivated me to work hard and get where I am is knowing that I have no safety net or that the safety net, my parents will be there for me. But, you know, I know that financially it only goes so far. So I've always known that and it's always motivated me. But it's also maybe called me back from taking some risks that might have been good in the long term. So that's a really hard balance and probably the biggest question I struggle with.
0: Delanor, do we let them fail as young adults?
4: Yeah, I definitely believe in letting them fail. It's just one of those things that some people pick it up without failing. But uh, if they are anything like me, which my son is, definitely, he needs to fall on his face. But I'll be there to, you know, clean him up, dust him off and show him, okay, this is how we're supposed to do it. You know, and then from there, he can either take it or fall on a space to get options
0: up there. So Shanna, when your kids have grown up, how will you define success in bringing them up financially? What do you hope to see?
2: I hope to see that they have enough money to not only survive on, but to feel comfortable with their life and do what it is that they want to do and have a good safety net for an emergency fund, as well as are working on saving for retirement. And I would hope that they are working towards retiring early, which is them my goal as well, so that they have freedom to do what they want when they want to do it.
0: Juan, same question. How will you define success when your kids have grown up financially?
3: I don't want to put a number on it or, you know, try to measure it by a dollar amount or something like that, because a lot of things can happen. But I would say it's more of a issue of mindset for me. If she can get to a point where she realizes that just buying material stuff and keeping up with the youngs doesn't bring true lasting happiness, if she can get, kind of get that picture idea into her head, I think I'll be happy. Delanor,
0: what does success with your children look like financially when they become adults?
3: I agree with Juan.
4: Definitely, I can't put a dollar amount onto it because what I consider success would be different from them, would be different from my neighbor and whatnot. But I, I use a kind of a phrase like, you need to be able to afford yourself. What that means is at some point in your life, you should, if you want something, you should be able to obtain it. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. Stop getting yourself into debt with loans and stuff like that. You know, high interest loans. Those exist because people don't have that weight. You know, that weight factor. They want it right now. And so, with that, the way I would define success is that my son and daughter, and hopefully our next child, will be able to provide for themselves, you know, as being a good contribution to society. You know, they don't need government assistance. You know, they don't ask for loans from mommy and daddy or from their friends or anything like that. It's just simple. Hey, this is what I want. It may be a $2 thing or it may be a $200 million thing, but I can afford it or I can obtain it through my own resources. That would be success for me as a parent.
1: That is a perfect answer to wrap up this conversation. Thank you so much for all three of you for contributing. I'd like to give each of you a chance to let us know where we can find you and what is up next for you. So we'll start with Shanna. Where can we find you and what is up next for you?
2: You can find me all over the place. I run a website called Adaptive Nourishment. So I'm there. I'm on Facebook under Adaptive Nourishment, Instagram, Twitter, I'm not even sure where else. LinkedIn, I think, uh, it's just under Shanna Bell. And then I'm also an author of a book called the art of being a PETA. So you can find that on my website or you can find it on Facebook or Amazon. And what is next for me? I'm working on three other books in my PETA series and just trying to, uh, survive parenthood and continue to teach my kids about financial independence and freelance writing and boarding a million dogs. So if you guys ever need a dog boarded near the Raleigh area, look me
1: up. Sounds fun. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot, lot of things going. Juan, uh, where can we find you and what is up next for you?
3: I have a small blog slash personal diary at financeclever.com. You can find me there. I'm also in the What's Up Next Facebook group under Juan Pablo. And I'm pretty active on the local meetup groups here in Raleigh. So that's where you can find me. And what's up next for me is we're planning a trip for my daughter's birthday in a few months. We're probably going to go overseas somewhere and try to catch up with family as much as possible. Other than that, just uh, working hard at my job and try to spend as much time with my daughter as I can.
1: Delnor, how about you? Uh, where can we find you and what is up next for you?
3: Uh, You can find
4: me on all social media, Delanor K. Wilson Jr. or at Delk Wilson Jr. D-E-L-K Wilson Jr. I own a business, uh, IT business firm. We manage small business, network, things of that nature. And so what's up next for me is just growing that business, taking it from a startup to a self-sustaining business and prospering with that. So that's what's up next with me. All right. Well, this has
0: been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Shanna, Juan, and Delanor. That's a wrap. Hey everybody this is a rewind episode on earn and invest but if you want to know the latest and the greatest what is happening in our community check us out on Facebook on our group page that's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest again that's facebook.com slash groups slash earn and invest that is a place where you can learn about everything going on in finance personal finance the economy what's happening with our members we even occasionally talk about politics check us out on our Facebook page and become part of our community.
4: Good job, guys. Awesome. awesome. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah, that was yeah. a lot of fun. You guys That's do very thing. well.
1: What are we not talking about in the financial independent movement that you wish people were talking about? Are there any gaps?
4: Strategic ways of doing it, I would say. I think Shanna brought up a good point. The envelope method. Yeah, you know, that's just kind of difficult nowadays because of digital currency, you know, <laughs> but even still, though, you know, you can go and, you know, cash that money out and then put it into an envelope still. You know, mm-hmm. I just think of strategic methods of doing it instead of just telling someone, hey, save your money, save your money. Well, that doesn't tell no one really anything. Everyone knows they should be saving money. You know, maybe it's just the lack of knowledge, you know, of education of how
1: to actually do it the strategies to actually get there exactly
2: i'd like to learn more about um and this may just be me from an entrepreneurial perspective but i'm always looking for new ways to um keep more of my money and pay less in taxes so i'm always looking for tax loopholes whether it's with children or with business or individually
1: all right it's good having you guys yeah I thank appreciate you
0: guys it. for coming on tech moves fast